0: The pay disparity between the men and women is is just too large, and and we want to continue to fight. Uh, The generation of players before us fought, and now it's our job to to keep on fighting. The pay cap
1: for the women's major league soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's major league in soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets a crossing. in. It's towards Wobbeck. Oh, can you believe this?
0: Abby Wobbeck has saved the USA's life. You are listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera, only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you for making the choice to listen to us on Girls Soccer Network. This is the second ever episode of our podcast, and we are incredibly excited to bring it to you. We have so much planned for today's show. Time to give you a quick rundown. First off, of course, the NWSL playoffs were on Seattle and Portland, the Cascadia rivalry, was truly something to behold. It was a great matchup. We'll have more on that shortly. Later on in the show, we have a very, very special interview with LA Breakers Director of Coaching Richard Sims, one of the more well-respected figures when it comes to soccer in the LA area, and we're excited to bring you that interview later on as well. But first, it is so crucial that we, as always, mention all the great stuff that is going on at girlssoccernetwork.com. We've got a lot of great content on the site right now. And, of course, follow us on all social media platforms. Instagram, our handle is at Girls Soccer Network. Twitter handle, at Girls Soccer Net. And, of course, you can find us on Facebook as well. Be sure to stop by, like, subscribe, do everything that you need to do to make sure that you're getting some of the best content out there when it comes to women's soccer. Before we get into what went down in Portland Uh, With the Thorns and the rain, an an incredible matchup. First, we must mention earlier on this week that Tom Sermani and the Orlando Pride have decided to mutually part ways, which should not really come as a surprise to anyone because of just how the second half of their season went. I mean, it is absolutely appalling to see the kind of run of form that they went in. And it's one of those things where... you can come up with a lot of different explanations as to what went down in Orlando. You could say star power may have been a little bit too much of a priority over building a completely cohesive unit, and it's not that Orlando were not cohesive. They, they played very well. They had great spurts all season long, but, but here's a stat for you, if, if I can provide this. This is a great nugget of information from Kimberly McCauley of SB Nation. She tweeted this out earlier this week. Alex Morgan, in the regular season, okay, it's a 24-game regular season. She did not play every single game, so that's fine. She had injuries here or there. She may have been on international duties. That's fine. But over a 24-game season, Alex Morgan had 38 total shots. 38. I'm speechless. She's a top five player in the world, and she has 38 shots to her name. Uh, that that's really a telling stat and really it provides insight into what exactly happened to Orlando down the stretch. And you look at the goals that they scored, literally the, the only quality of goals that they were scoring was through Marta playing some individually spectacular ball into Alex Morgan, who finishes it well. And of course, that's what you're going to get. That's what you're hoping to get, but you need other, other ways to do it. Rachel Hill was coming off the bench and scoring goals earlier on in the year that kind of fizzled out they really lacked depth and when their best players were away they struggled and the second half of the year was very very tough for them Tom Sermani just could not figure out the right formula the right combination of players because you bring in Shilina Zdorsky the Canadian international who's supposed to be very very highly touted and and you know the the the, the defense has, has done what it's the defense has done its best job. It they've done what they can. You have a great keeper in Ashland Harris. You have some great solid players along that back line, and I think it's really just finding a cohesive uh, a cohesive way to put these pride pieces together because they are a a solid solid team as as every team in the NWSL is. They were just unfortunately unable to to just stop. The, you know, once once that momentum starts to go, and once you start to go and trend down in a certain direction, it's very very tough to to slow the brakes and 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 create a quick turnaround. And it's clear that Tom Sermanni did what he could, but simply could not do enough to turn the ship around in time. Now, Portland versus Seattle. Oh my goodness! Can talk about an incredible playoff game to kick things off. I mean, of course, you know, it's unfortunate what happened with Hurricane Florence. You know, we really, really hope that everyone out in North Carolina is, North Carolina, South Carolina, everyone in the area that was affected by the hurricane is doing okay. It's unfortunate that 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 had to happen. But at the same time, the fact that it will be in Portland is also huge for the league. Now it's unfortunate for the fans. The North Carolina gets robbed of a of a home game, a sold out home game, and they rightfully, rightfully deserve to have that top spot and home field advantage. They deserve to have that semifinal game, and it's unfortunate it was taken away from them. But with that being said, Portland will give them will give the fans an opportunity to come out strong and. Hopefully, if they're willing to make the trip out on a Tuesday, uh, be rewarded for making the trip because it should be a fantastic match. But again, getting back to what happened with Portland and Seattle, a almost identical situation to what happened when these two teams met last weekend and Portland was able to come from behind again and win 3-1 again. Tobin Heath was enormous, instrumental in every single shape of the word. She was just phenomenal, taking on players, really showing that passion and intensity that we have all uh, become so used to. And when she is clicking and she's going on all cylinders, she really is that X factor and brings that little extra element of creativity to Portland. And that is something that they will need if they want to beat North Carolina. With that being said, the game was back and forth, and it and is very clear that Portland's strategy, and it, it, and it worked to perfection, they are more than content to sit back and defend and let Seattle pass and pass and pass until Portland just so incredibly deadly on the counter. With that open space, that's when you get Tobin Heath out on the wing. That's when you get her playing balls in. You have Haran and you have Sinclair, and the three of them are just in this perfect harmony, and they're going around just dishing out passes, creating, scoring goals, doing everything uh, that your midfielders and wingers should be doing. So when they are going, they are very tough to stop, and you saw that with the two goals that they that they were able to score. Lindsey Haran, of course, what more can you say about her? I mean, I saw you saw the the insane. Uh, Rose City Riverders poster death taxes Heran headers, right? I mean that's it's just classic her and what she does, and it was a beautiful, beautiful header off the post and in to give the Thorns the lead that they had pretty much deserved over the way that they played in the second half. Seattle just kind of really missed that little extra that little extra something, that little extra cutting edge. And when you look at what Seattle was, was able to do, again, that early goal was huge for them. They were creating Megan Rapinoe, as always, with the audacity on that free kick to go for goal. Only, you know, she's one of f- a few players who can obviously just think of doing that and successfully execute it as well. And Jasmine Spencer was there for the putback, which was huge. They, unfortunately, after that, just could not put enough together. It was very clear. That Ali Long was not a hundred percent, or she was still coming back to full strength from that injury, and I'm not sure how I feel about her getting the extra rest down the stretch, especially considering Ali wasn't in the national team sides over the last couple. You know she was, but she was not playing. She for her to get rest down the. It almost got her out of sync. When it's a one-game playoff semifinal, you need your best players to be at their best. And it looked like it started to take her a little bit longer to get into the game. And really, not that she wasn't physical, not that she wasn't her usual self, but it it really just got tough out there. And really, when you look at Seattle's lineup, there is that left-holding midfielder spot that really, of anywhere on the field, you could potentially point out as a weak spot, not in a, in, and we're talking razor-thin margins here, right? Because, again, the nine-team format of the NWSL, there are so many great players, and it's such a talent-rich league. But you look at that left-holding midfielder spot, and that was the one spot where Seattle and 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 their head coach, you know, Vlad Gwandanowski, just could not find the right player to put. Rumi Utsugi played sparingly, and... Morgan Andrews who is also a good player was in and out but who do you put in that position? I mean, who do you that became the toughest thing I think for Seattle because you have Fishlock and Long and and you can pretty much be happy with those two in those two spots but that third midfielder I think really was what cost Seattle in the end and the those quick quick plays on the counter was what really really made a difference. Portland, and that, you know, it is a huge result for them, and obviously they're thrilled to get back to the final Portland, and for them to be going for that third star to kind of cement them as the club in the NWSL, well, they are one step closer, and uh, could not be more excited to see who they take on, will it be the Red Stars, will it be the Courage, a Tuesday night game, hopefully that will have no impact on how things go Chicago has touched down in Portland the whole team you can see all over social media it's been great they are such a team unit Chicago and I've said this before we wrote we've got another preview coming out before the game that will absolutely highlight just how close knit of a group this Chicago team is and I've said it before and I've said it again that is the type of team unity that you need in order to Take on a team like North Carolina that is just as good, if not better, of a team. Chicago here has a tremendous opportunity because they, I wouldn't necessarily say that they are flying under the radar, but everyone knows that the NWSL Shield curse, if you will, is has been in full effect. The fact that the Shield winner has yet to go on, go on to win the title means... Again, there is a tremendous amount of parity in the league, and in when it comes down to just a semifinal game and a final game, anything is possible. So the courage—we've we've said so much all year long about how good they are, right, and how they are the most complete team, the best team in the world, and they have beaten everyone and everything in their sight. But one game. To beat Chicago, you better believe Chicago is going to be game. And they have the star power to match North Carolina at all the key positions. The Golden Boot winner, Sam Kerr, can she peel off the back of Abby Dahlkamp or Abby Erceg? That is going to be the key question. Abby Ursag is going to be... You know She is the stalwart, she is kind of the leader of that back line with Camper, but Urseg is the leader and really just anchoring everything there at the back. And that is going to be the key matchup between Kerr and her. What can Danny Colaprico create? What can those Chicago, other Chicago midfielders do as a team? What can Rory Dames cook up to really disrupt this North Carolina team because they, again they are su- such a well-oiled machine on both sides of the ball how do you stop them you can really only make you can really only hope to make it ugly and you can expect chicago to do that early and often it will be physical and it's it's gonna be very very tough because if you're Paul Riley and the North Carolina Courage, how do you handle the emotions? Because you're here again. It's the exact same situation as last year. You're, in, you're even better than you were last year. There is no finish line, right? Hashtag no finish line in North Carolina. That has to be the message going into this. That has to be the message. You, we must put our foot on the gas and not let off because as soon as that first goal goes in, if it goes in, it will be over. If North Carolina scores that first goal, I do not see Chicago coming back. I do not see it. If Chicago can get on that score sheet early, then they have an opportunity to potentially see it out. Because then you're looking at Chicago potentially parking the bus a little bit, North Carolina seeking for that goal, seeking for that goal, and Chicago can hopefully be able to count, catch Chicago Excuse me, Chicago can catch North Carolina on the counter if, if possible. So that is going to be an incredibly, incredibly exciting matchup. And we cannot wait for that one. Again, the Red Stars and the Courage will go to battle. It is going to be a very, very exciting affair with a spot in the NWSL final on the line. Now, something else that we've kind of noticed recently over the last couple of weeks is some serious injuries to key players that, have, that could seriously change the landscape of, of how the next couple of weeks play out. Uh, we've got a great article on the site right now about Haley Rosso and, and her recovery and how she's been supporting the team because of that terrible back fracture that she picked up a couple of weeks ago. She's really been super supportive. You could tell even before the match, she mentioned how nervous she was going in. And she's been very, very supportive. The rehab has already begun. That whole process is going great. And again, you can read all of this and more. We've got a great article on the site right now. On top of that, you have McCall Zerboni's injury, which could really be a key, key element here in this semifinal against Chicago, because if Zerboni really is similar to Ursag, that veteran, experienced leader that is just going to have everyone on point, and she is obviously so intense, and really kind of the, the one who, the player who sets the tone for North Carolina, that physical style that we are not going to back down style, that we are going to press you and we are going to force you to make mistakes and force our will onto you. That's what McCall Zerboni really embodies. And so that loss is going to be so huge for the courage. It cannot be stated enough. And we will have to see what Paul Riley does. Of course, the courage are will be just fine if, you know, the the next player who comes in steps up and we've seen it time and time again, they have the depth. But again McCall Zerboni is McCall Zerboni, and she's one of a kind. The last really, really serious injury that uh, that could have major implications not just on the college landscape, but on the U.S. Women's National Team landscape as well, uh, Tierna Davidson, and, and this, happened, I, this happened last week, and this was a bad, bad challenge from Alex Kimball of North Carolina. I mean, you could see it in slow motion, I believe. Chris... Uh, Chris Henderson on Twitter had a, the stats guy, he had a, um, Chris Henderson actually put up a video of what happened between Alex Kimball and and Tierna Davidson in slow motion, Kimball's coming in for a challenge and really just comes through Tierna Davids' ankle completely and it bends the wrong way and it did not look great and the fact that she has to go from playing and I said this in the last podcast. To go from Stanford to the national team is amazing, but it, it's it's also a downside for her and other players. And look, I get it. This has been a system that has been in place for a while now, and it, and it's worked. And it's co- the college game has been a pipeline for women's players, and that's and that's amazing. It it's it's worked. But to what extent do you say? Or to to what extent do other younger athletes start saying when are we you know are we good enough to start doing what Lindsay Horan and Mallory Pugh did which is for go college forget that i'm going to go play somewhere else whether it be overseas whether it be in the NWSL itself if you can make the league right if that's really a question youngsters and teenagers are going to start asking themselves because if you really do want to play soccer full-time and make it your profession you know you're going to start start off as as early as you possibly can it's it's going to be very interesting to see what direction other players are going to start to go in as as this develops because Horan and and Pew are definitely two players more recently who have made the jump and made it look really easy again they're really really good so that's why they can afford to do that. But Tierna Davidson is also one of those players who could absolutely be not only on the net, you know, on any team professionally. She is a professional, and she has to go back and potentially have a a serious injury. I mean, that could have been career-ending. You have no idea what what could go on out there. So we, you know, we really hope a hope she has a speedy, speedy recovery and gets back to the pitch soon. Especially for Stanford, they need her too. Uh, if, if they're going to to repeat and, and defend their title. Speaking of injuries, uh, we have a very special partnership to announce with Topical Gear. Since we're on the topic of injuries, this is seriously a product if you are an athlete, parent, or someone who is looking to significantly decrease the chances that you can have an ACL tear that you definitely need to look into topical gear. Bill Bu, the founder, has been a medical professional for over 30 years and they've created these products that they have, whether it's knee, ankle, shoulder, they will significantly reduce any kind of pain that you're having. And the main point is that it is backed up by public research. And all of the female athletes who have been putting on the the knee sleeve and and any of the is in relation to the ACL tear have have not had any tears so it is definitely something that if you are looking to have a longer career and a a longer career so that you can stay on the pitch and not have to be worried about injuries all the time and you can play freely then this is definitely something that you need to look into and stay Tuned for more information on that on our website. We've definitely got more info about topical gear. And be sure to check out their website, compressioninmotion.com. Now, it is that time we are very, very happy to bring to you our interview with LA Breakers Director of Coaching Richard Sims, a great soccer mind, a great conversation about high school soccer, club soccer, and just the overall landscape in general out in LA. Enjoy. So Richard, you have the, the all-girls club, uh, Westside Breakers and the all-boys club, LA. They've merged. You're one of the premier clubs on the Westside. Congratulations. What do you view your vision to be for the club
1: moving forward? Yeah, I think well, we brought Westside Breakers and FCLA together to make Los Angeles Breakers, and I think that that little piece of has been important. But um, for us, I think it's that's not necessarily my vision. It's a combined vision of a leadership group. We have a, a club director named Mike Page and a boys director of coaching named Tim Pierce, and the director of coaching. So the three of us vision of building something that can be bigger than what it once was you know we were before we were very regionalized um, in terms of just being for players on the west side of Los Angeles we were very limited um, in terms of the resources we had to provide great training and great um, competition and great college exposure and now you know our vision is to expand in all of those areas expand um, the service that we give our members and so be a club that draws from outside our area and is as inclusive as possible and as accessible accessible as possible for players from outside the area and then we want to be club that provides a platform and an environment where our local players don't feel like they need to leave our area to go and find greener pastures we want to be the place where they feel like they can achieve their dreams um you know and, and ambitions
0: and you mentioned that access and and the level of competition uh last month you just kicked off your inaugural ecnl season tell us about the move and what it means for the club
1: yeah, I think, that, um, you know, we've been pursuing ECNL for for about a year and a half to two years, and, you know, ever since the, the addition of the United States Development Academy, we really felt like that grew gap in the market, that there was no ECNL club in all of Los Angeles County. Uh, the closest ECNL club, if you lived in Los Angeles, was in was in Orange County um, or in the Inland Empire, and so that just was not uh, logistically feasible for players to get to, get to those practices, and so if players wanted to play in a national league at the highest level, they had to play in a league that didn't allow them to play high school sports. And so, you know, we felt really passionately about trying to bring an ECNO club to LA. We wanted to be that club. Um, And so we, you know, the merger was part of that um, so that we can uh, expand our scope and be a larger entity. Also, we rebranded as Los Angeles versus West side, which is, which has been, um, you know, a nice little piece of marketing to expand our geography and, and, make ourselves a bigger club and so that was a big part of bringing ECNL to Los Angeles and so we have a program that we're out of, it's brand new and, and learning curve and we're going to take our times but we are really excited about being able to provide a new club to club to our community.
0: And would you say that an ECNL club uh, attracts high level players over a non-ECNL club and in terms of your coaches, do they get A and B coaching licenses?
1: In terms of the E-C-N-L, it's definitely an attraction for players, and and for good reason. E-C-N-L provides uh, a great level of competition. We know that we're going to play uh, some of the top clubs across Southern California, some of the top clubs across the United States. Um, We know that we're now going to be able to participate in E-C-N-L National Showcase events, um, which are some of the best events in the United States. So we know that. Those events will be attended by some of the top clubs in the United States that are all in in the ECNL, whether it be PDA or Chicago Eclipse or Michigan Hawks, FC Stars of Massachusetts, Concord Fire, Slammers. These are you know, these are the top clubs in the U.S., and we want to be at the same events as them, we want to be in the same competitions as them. So um, it provides all of that. Um, so I do think that's an attraction. Whether or not it's more attractive than what non-ECNL clubs can provide, I think it depends on the non-ECNL club. There are some great ones out there. Uh, for us, you know, we're excited about uh, the platform that the ECNL provides. Uh, the second part in terms of coaching licenses, our ECNL coaches, one of the things that's a philosophy of the ECNL is, is not mandating those types of things. They know that there are some great coaches that may not have high-level licenses but have tremendous experience or tremendous coaching backgrounds or just tremendous talent. Um, so they don't mandate uh, the licensing levels. For us as a club, it's more about our philosophy. And so, you know, our philosophy is to have our most experienced coaches and, and some of our most talented coaches involved in our ECNO program. We have some of our most talented coaches working with our younger programs as well uh, to make sure we're developing the younger talent. Um, but you know, within ECNO, we, we also try to provide as much supplemental training as possible. I work with all of our ECNO teams. We have the head coach from UCLA, Amanda Cromwell, who is a staff coach for us. She works for the LA Breakers um, and works with all of our ECNO. Uh, we have a full-time sports performance coach who comes out Uh, and works with all of our ECNL teams. All of them get to work with him at least one night a week um, to work on speed and agility and injury prevention um, and core training. Uh, We also have James, who's an assistant coach at UCLA, that works with our ECNL teams. And then on top of that, we also have a partnership with Stream Sports where we film all of our games so players get video feedback. We also have a partnership with Trace, which is a company that does GPS monitoring. uh, So we get statistical feedback and a GPS feedback that links to the video directly. Um, so, our players are, we feel like our players are getting a, a really robust and comprehensive uh, development platform.
0: And as someone who's been involved with the club game for so long, do you feel that uh, high school sports can impact a club player's game at all?
1: I think it definitely can. Um, you know, I, I, for myself personally, in terms of full disclosure, I've been coaching. High school sports for 18 or 19 seasons now i've run the same program for the last 14 years and i've seen tremendous value in high school sports not just high school soccer but high school sports in general i think that you know the the argument that high school sports is not worthwhile or is detrimental to a player's development um, in my opinion is an unbelievably pretentious or snobby argument because I think there's so much more value in high school sports than just your soccer development. I think, you know, people claim I hear hear the word holistic all the time from soccer clubs. You know, we want to provide a holistic experience. Uh, Well, you won't find a more holistic experience than high school sports because you're going to have athletes who are finding out that they represent something bigger than themselves. And they have a purpose beyond themselves. So they have an opportunity to represent their community. They have an opportunity to represent a program that is steeped in tradition. They have an opportunity to have school pride. Um, but the most important thing is is the social aspect of high school sport, which, you know, people almost make fun of sometimes of like, oh, you know, you know, girls only care about social or, you know, that's the reason why they want to play. And it's like, well, last time I checked, it, you know, interpersonal relationships are an important part of life. And so learning, you know, how to come in as a 14 and 15 year old and play with and against 17 and 18 year olds has tremendous value. Learning how to follow quality leadership from older kids has tremendous value. And then making the transition from a younger player into an older player and understanding the dynamics of teams and how teams can change and shift in high school sports and the cycle of four year teams um, and kids graduating and having to step into leadership roles and step up and represent your team and your program. I just think there's 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 limitless value in those things, um, you know, that get that get pushed to the side by people who claim high school sports are, are somehow not worthwhile um, you know, it's, it's sad to me. That, that argument is, is nothing more than sad to me because people miss the whole point um, and they focus in on, on such a small aspect of humanity and of these kids' lives, which is soccer. Like it's, it's a short term thing that they're doing. And, and yes, it's extremely important and we care about it and we want them to be the best soccer players they can be. But I'm pretty sure everybody would agree. It's more important that they be great people.
0: You do so much, as you mentioned, for your players to make sure that they are going to be at their best all the time in terms of soccer. And what do you do to make sure your athletes are developing as individuals as well?
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the more fun parts of the job and I think that's where the the game has changed and I think that's where um, you know our community and, and the culture of of sports has evolved where parents now You know, the team winning is not enough anymore. You know, they want to make sure that that their kids are developing and getting better as individuals. And, you know, that's something that we have to take pride in and and really make sure we're prioritizing. Um, You know, every coach in our program is tasked with understanding that they need to have a plan for the team's development, but they also need to have a plan for every single individual's development. Um, You know, for years it was okay for coaches to say, oh, you know, that kid's, you know, uh, at the bottom end of the roster or they're not going to play a lot or, you know, maybe they won't make the team next year. You know, that's not good enough in our program. You know, you've you've got to have a plan for every player and, and make sure that you're helping them address and identify the areas for improvement and then giving them a strategy, um, you know, to, to really build those areas up so that they become strengths. Um, and that's a big challenge in our program where, you know, we are a new club. And so, you know, we're constantly trying to develop um A more comprehensive curriculum right now we have um, a club language that we're working on we also want to start having player player development profiles so that every player knows uh, when they finish a certain age group uh, what's expected of them before they graduate into that next age group or that next level Um, and then we also do player evaluations with all of our players at the midpoint in the year um, to make sure they understand what path they're on and and how they can continue to improve
0: and you mentioned Winning not being enough, and parents wanting to make sure that their kids develop, they invest a lot of time and money uh, when it comes to their kids and the club. How do you feel about parents getting more involved and helping out with the team because they have such a stake in it as well?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, you know we we strive, as I as I mentioned earlier, in in terms of our vision. You know, we strive to be a club that's inclusive um, and believes in inclusivity and, and believes in community. Um, and if we if we want to live that and have that be our truth, then you know we need to embrace the parents in our club as as being partners in this journey. They they are not um, people that we view as customers. They're people we view as members of our club. And so you know we're all in this together. We all have the same goal, which is what's best for the kids. And so you know if we can really convince our parents, and I don't think it takes much convincing, but if we can convince them that we're all on the same team and that we're all pushing in the same direction, you know, I think that we can create a really, really strong partnership and we, we need our parents. You know, we have, we do have lofty ambitions and we are very aspirational as a club. And so, you know, we want to um, be a club that has great community events. You know, we, we attended UCLA men's soccer game and had over a thousand people there from our club. Um, you know, that was a, that was a great night for a brand new club to get out together and spend time together. We could not have done that without the support of our parents Um, you know we are constantly looking to improve revenue streams so that we can expand and have a more robust scholarship program so that we can bring down our player dues well we can't do any of these things without the help of our parents so we want to have a strong relationship with them
0: you are both a girls youth soccer coach and the director of coaching with the breakers tell us more about both those positions what you love doing about both of those things and if you prefer one to the other
1: Yeah, um, I coached the 2003 ECNL team, um, and then, yeah, I'm the girls' director of coaching, and and I'm the director for the ECNL program. Um, You know, I think that coaching will always be my true love. That's what I started out doing, Um, and I've I've evolved and grown and had some opportunities now to to direct the program. But uh, coaching will always be my my first passion, and I think that it's what I love to do. I love working with the players. I love running training sessions. I love coaching games. I love uh, the process of player development, of, of helping players get better. Um, you know, so that will always be my true passion, but I've really enjoyed the, the director role. I've only been in it for, for about six or seven months now, but I've really enjoyed it because I'm able to take my experience as a coach in the areas where I really felt like a program could be improved and where more, there were chances to add more opportunities for players and more service to our members. Um, and I'm able now to take those ideas and and take those goals, um, and, and bring them to fruition and bring them to the whole club, you know, areas that, you know, I've been coaching for 20 years, so there's things, you know, that I've learned along the way as a coach that I can now share with our coaching staff to try to speed up their development um, and have them not, you know, not fall into the same traps that I fell into. Um, and so I, I find that really enjoyable. And then, uh, you know, the opportunity to, you know, represent something bigger than myself is really fun, too, of getting to work with, you know, seven-year-olds and 18-year-olds in the same night, you know, is a, is a really, really fun part of the process you know and that's that's the other part of this is this is this is sports you know we are, we're having a blast and, and we have a really great community of kids and families and coaches that all really get along with each other and enjoy being together um and I, i've enjoyed that sense of community and, and that sense of uh that sense of pride
0: you mentioned that community and being able to you know help help your athletes get scholarships <coughs> as someone who's been coaching for so long what's the best piece of advice you could give to young players trying to make it to the college level and beyond?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. Um, You know, what I would say to players that have those types of aspirations that, that want to play in college and want to play at a high level, I think that, you know, they've got to stay focused on, you know, what they're bringing to the table versus what they're getting from other people or from other entities. So, Rather than looking at it as you know what's this coach doing for me, or what does this club do for me, or what do my teammates do for me? Um, or what does this league do for me? You know I think that you've got to stay focused on on what you're bringing and and what you're able to contribute. So you know what am I doing to get better? What am I doing to help my team? You know am I am I being coachable? Am I listening? Am I improving? Uh, because I think if you if you stay on that focus and you give um, this process of of developing and getting better, if give it everything you've got, I don't think you're going to be left with any regrets. And I think that when you've got that type of attitude and that type of work ethic and commitment and focus on self, I think you're really going to find um, you know, that you're loved by your teammates and loved by your coach. And, and I think there will be college coaches out there that want that type of person in their program.
0: Again, that was Richard Sims, director of coaching for the L.A. Breakers. It is that time for the social media and lifestyle section of our show. We've got, as I mentioned many times before, plenty of great content on the site. One that is currently up right now about Megan Klingenberg. This is a great, great story that I got the chance uh, to write on. Definitely go by the website and, and check it out. She is doing more, despite the fact that she hasn't even been in the U.S. women's national team side. Jill Ellis has not been given her calls, yet she's doing everything she can to help her teammates out, well, herself and her teammates out, by creating a brand-new revenue stream through sponsorship deals and licensing deals for the women's national team because because they make so much money for the U.S. Soccer Federation. She kind of decided, this is nonsense. They are making so much money off of us, we need to do something about it and so she got everyone together during their victory tour after the world cup and really kind of pitched this idea initially and that's when a lot of the girls thought she was crazy but stuck with it stuck with it and they've got you know they've done a tremendous amount of work and made tremendous progress you know the the best piece of evidence i can think of is You know, Kristen Press just had all of those lovely shirts go out. Kristen keeps it 100 for her hundredth cap, so that's just a small instance of Megan Klingenberg's work. uh, You know, paying dividends on you know off the pitch when she's you know already being a you know she's so just feisty and fierce out on the pitch, and you can imagine her being somewhat similar um, as an entrepreneur as well. Another crazy thing I wanted to mention that I saw from from last weekend, which was very, very crazy. Alex Morgan's weekend was absolutely insane. I mean, this woman went from sky blue. Okay, so Orlando played sky blue. Obviously, they didn't win the game. But she went from Jersey, okay, to the U.S. Open final to see Serena... Um, lose to Naomi Osaka, which that is a whole other separate issue, right? But that was crazy. So she went from, the, from Sky Blue to the U.S. Open final to a Fashion Week fashion show in the span of about 12 hours. I'm like, man, that is a serious, serious day. On top of that, as I mentioned, Chicago being such a well-knit group, you had two separate birthdays, Sam Kerr, the superstar, had her birthday, and then Sarah Gordon as well, who is a big part of that team. So happy birthday to two fellow Red Stars as they prepare for a huge, huge semifinal against the North Carolina Courage. One last thing for you to check out on the website. We've got a Player of the Month segment that is up. This year's Passion Player of the Month is Batia Beguli. For, she plays for the San Diego Surf and she has gotten the opportunity recently to play for her, her country of Kazakhstan, which is amazing. We've got plenty of great info about her story, so go to the website and check that out as well. Well, that is it from me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this is the best time of year for women's soccer with the NWSL season wrapping up. We will be back. We should be back two weeks from now bringing you everything that happened from the final plus everything else that is going on from college soccer, the FAWSL over in England, the W League, which should be starting up as soon as the NWSL ends. We will have all of that for you in the future. But again, thank you for listening to Give & Go on Girls Soccer Network. Take care.